I wonder who is the person out of the billions of people across this globe who you feel that you know the most and that they know you. The person who, even after you haven't seen them for several days, the moment they show up at your door, you know what they're going to say before they even open their mouth. The person who, when something exciting happens in your life or in their life, they send you a text message before they even leave the room. And we realize this is probably a family member or a close friend or maybe a college roommate. But as we grow in relationship with people, we realize the more time we spend together, there's even more we can get to know. I mean, this has been tested over the past year. I'm sure in coming years there will be studies about the number of hours spent around the family dinner table during 2020 and how the number of family meals that happened during that year was probably multiplied by the years and even decades before that. I was reading an article online this week where a man said, after who knows how many thousands of eggs, pounds of ground turkey, and boxes of food that they had gone through, the quarantine had definitely had its culinary challenges on their family. But he said the upside is that we learn more about each other every single day. He said, for example, about 40 weeks into quarantine, after, after baking salmon every single week, he learned that his wife, in fact, does not like salmon. And we chuckle at that, thinking, how would it take 40 weeks for him to realize that? But we can realize, even though we feel like we know someone, the more time we spend with them, we realize there's even more to learn And as we shift our attention to our text this morning in John chapter 15, we come to a very familiar passage of Scripture, one that many of us have learned even when we were young in in VBS. But I wonder what we can learn this morning about Jesus' claim of being the true vine and the implications that it can have on our lives. So I invite you to open up your Bible with me to John chapter 15. This morning we're going to be in verses 1 to 11. And as you turn there, I want to remind us that we find in this chapter the seventh and final I am statement that Jesus makes in the, in the Gospel of John. Starting back in John chapter 6, Jesus claimed to be the bread of life. Then he claimed to be the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. John 11, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. John 14, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And now we get to the seventh and final I am statement here in John chapter 15. I am the true vine. I'm going to read verses 1 to 11 for us this morning. This is God's word. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing." If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. 
If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is God's word. Well, this morning as we jump in here to John chapter 15, we realize two unique qualities of this claim, I am the true vine, that sets it apart from the other six that Jesus made earlier in the Gospel of John. First off, this is the only I am statement that Jesus makes where he uses the adjective true to describe the noun that he claimed to be. Jesus didn't claim to be the true door, or he didn't claim to be the true shepherd, yet Jesus claimed to be the true vine. I think part of the reason he claimed to be the true vine is you and I hear the term vine, and we might think of grapes or grape juice or maybe even wine. But when the first century Christians heard Jesus claim to be the true vine, I'm sure one thing they had in mind is how in the Old Testament, God's people, the Israelites, were often known as the vine. In Ezekiel and Jeremiah and Isaiah and even in the Psalms, God's people were known as a vine, yet often they were an unfruitful vine. Often they were not a good vine. They were a vine where God, as many of us know in the Old Testament, God would command his people to live one way. Yet oftentimes they did the opposite. And so when Jesus shows up here in John 15 and claims to be the true vine, those who were listening to him realized he wasn't just claiming to be a vine, but the true vine. He wasn't just claiming to be a continuation of what God was doing in the Old Testament, but he was claiming to be a fulfillment of what God was doing in the Old Testament. But the second thing we realize about this claim of being the true vine that is different compared to all the other statements he made about being, about the I am statements in the book of John, is this is the only one where right after he makes a statement about himself, he immediately pivots to the role of the Father. Look down with me in verse 1. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser, or the gardener. And then in verse 2, he explains the role of the Father in the garden. He says, Every branch in me that that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. So immediately, Jesus pivots away from himself and explains the role of the Father in the world today. God is not a creator who created the world and then let the world spin and backed up. But John explains that God the Father is active in the world today. And it's important here in verses 1 to 3, which lay a foundation for the rest of this text, for us to realize what Jesus is talking about. If you're new to Christianity or maybe you're visiting here this morning or watching the live stream, and Jesus explains that he is the vine and we are the branches, Here in verse 2, he's explaining that anyone who claims to be a follower of Jesus is explained here as a branch. And when Jesus is explaining fruit here, fruit, fruit gives evidence of what type of tree it is. 
When we see apples on the ground, we know it's an apple tree. When we see oranges on the ground, we know it's an orange tree. And it's as if what Jesus is saying here is if people claim to be followers of him, there should be evidence in their life, there should be fruit that proves that they were followers of Jesus. Not that they're perfect, because no follower of Jesus is perfect, only he is. But there should be evidence in our lives or fruit that points that we are followers of Jesus. So right here we see in verse 2 that Jesus says, anyone who claims to be a follower of me, any branch that does not bear fruit, God takes away. However, if there's any branch, any follower of him that does bear fruit, he doesn't let it go. He prunes it. He cuts it. He purifies it in order that more fruit may abound. We're reminded here so early that there's no such thing as static Christianity. Even when there's fruit in our lives, God will prune us and purify us in order that there might be more fruit. That's why sometimes people, including myself, wonder, why is God doing this to me? Is God angry at me? But really, it's pruning happening in our lives. He's cutting us. He's changing us. He's transforming us in order that we may have more fruit in our lives. And then we get to verse 3, a verse that when we read this whole chapter, and especially verses 1 to 11, this verse sticks out like a sore thumb. We're talking about vines, we're talking about fruit, and then all of a sudden in verse 3, Jesus tells his followers, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. We read this and we're saying, Jesus, why are you talking about cleanliness all of a sudden? When we get to a passage like this, it teaches us a good Bible study tactic. When we read something that doesn't seem to fit into the text that we're reading, sometimes it's necessary to pull out and see what God is doing in a bigger section of Scripture. If you were around here several weeks ago, Pastor Nick preached on John chapter 13, and he preached on the foot washing that Jesus did. And this is what John says in, and Jesus says in John 13, and there's no need to turn there. But Jesus says, And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That is why he said, Not all of you are clean. So what we realize here is the disciples who were listening to Jesus, at this point, Judas, who Pastor Nick explained, was familiar with Jesus, but didn't believe the words of Jesus, he was gone at this point. And now everyone who was listening to Jesus' words, they were clean because of the words that Jesus had spoken to them. We're reminded here that we're not clean by cleaning ourselves up, but we're clean by believing the words that Jesus had spoken. Don Carson helps us understand this, and this quote will be up on the screen. It says, The cleansing power of the word that Jesus had spoken to his disciples then is equivalent to the life of the vine pulsating through the branches. So just as Jesus' words cleansed the people who were listening, it's like the life going out from the vine through the branches, enabling true life. I think this brings up a question this morning, and that is, have you let the words of Jesus wash over you, or are you still trying to clean yourself? 
And I think this brings us to even a bigger question as we look here in verses 1 to 11, and that is, what does it even mean to live a fruitful Christian life? Is this possible? How can I attain it? And we see here that verses 1 to 3 lay a foundation that help us understand that by abiding in Jesus, we are enabled to live a fruitful Christian life. That by abiding in Jesus, we are enabled to live a fruitful Christian life. We get to verse 4, and we see in verse 4, starting in verse 4 and in the upcoming verses, we see the word abide come up ten times. Now, the word abide is a word we use in our culture, maybe not very often, but we understand synonyms to the word abide, such as continue in or remain in. But whenever I get to a passage that uses abide, whenever I'm teaching it to our students in our student ministry here, I like to use the example of a roller coaster. Now, many of us in this room and many of us watching the live stream at some point have probably either been to or or have heard of Cedar Point. One thing on our calendar every year in our youth ministry is our trip to Cedar Point. And when I explain the word abide, I like to talk about the Millennium Force, which is up here on the screen. When you get on that roller coaster, which has enough seats that if it's full every time, over a thousand people will ride it every hour. When you go up this hill, which is shown on the screen, and you're sitting there, when you get to the top of this hill, and you're now looking out over top of Lake Erie, and you feel the breeze hitting your face, you have one hope. That that hydraulic lap bar And that seatbelt, which has been used thousands of times, that the moment you peak that hill, that they will hold and you abide in that seat. You abide and you live. You don't abide and you get thrown into Lake Erie. And it's one thing to talk about abiding in a roller coaster. It's another thing to talk about abiding in Jesus. And we see starting in verse 4, Jesus used the word abide three times already. Jesus says in verse 4, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Jesus makes it pretty clear for us as he continues this illustration of the vine and the branches that unless your branch is abiding in the vine, there's not going to be any fruit. I mean, we all know what type of branch he's talking about. This is why when you take your family in the summer or in the fall to a campground or in the backyard and you're trying to light a campfire, you're looking for the type of wood that is dead, that has no fruit. That's why when you take your kids and they go out and they're like trying to pull off a limb off a tree and they're trying to put that in the fire, it doesn't light because there's life in it. Jesus is saying, be a branch that's connected to the vine. Be a branch that enables life. Don't be like the branch that gets thrown into the fire. Jesus continues in verse 5, and it's helpful for someone like me and maybe someone like you that Jesus uses repetition because maybe we don't get it the first time. He says in verse 5, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me And I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. 
Jesus continues to clarify this. It's like he's building step on step. And he's again reminding those who are listening to him, if you want much fruit in life, the only way it's possible is by abiding in the vine. I mean, his words are pretty clear here. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. Nothing of eternal influence or nothing of eternal impact apart from abiding in Jesus. So if this is true, we better know what it means to abide in Jesus. As we think of this, we could take hours explaining this, but two things that rise to the top when we think, what does it mean to abide in Jesus? First off, it means that his word becomes the authority in our lives. That the words of Jesus become the authority in our lives. We live in a culture today where it's so common that our story becomes the authority. We hear things, you don't understand because I feel, fill in the blank, or I feel this way so, fill in the blank. And although we'd never want to neglect someone's story, including our own, because our stories do share purpose, we need to keep our stories at the correct perspective, knowing that our authority is not what we're feeling, but our authority comes from what God's Word says. But the second thing it means to abide in Jesus is we stay close to him. I don't know about you, but as we navigate some of these these hurdles in our culture, it seems like we're walking through the dark or sometimes crawling through the dark. Just as a blind man or woman might not be able to see, but they can listen to someone in front of them by what they say, by the tone of their voice, by the speed of their footprints, They can still follow someone. And in a similar way, as we navigate through our our culture, we are called to abide in Jesus. Jesus isn't surprised by the darkness that we find ourselves in. And we're still called to abide in Him. And if we want to live fruitful Christian lives, the only way it's possible is if we abide. Because apart from Him, We can do nothing. Now, when we get to verses 6 and 7, it's as if Jesus plays two scenarios for us. We're going to call them scenario A and scenario B. Look down with me at verses 6 and 7. First, scenario A. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. But scenario B, verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now these two scenarios are so important for us to think about this morning in this room and for those of us watching on the live stream. Scenario A is people who are not abiding in Jesus and there's no fruit in your life. What does Jesus say is going to happen to these people? They're going to be thrown away like a branch and withered. The branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. Those are people who have no fruit or no evidence of being a Christian in their life. And I want to ask this morning, is that you? 
Are you someone sitting here today that has no evidence of being a Christian in your life? I think one of the hardest struggles of our American Christian culture is sometimes we can become so good at faking being Christians, we know what to wear, we know how to smile, we know how to come in the door and say we're doing well, when really we know we're not following Jesus. And this isn't meant to scare you, this is meant to give us a clear view of ourselves. If that's you, my admonition to you is abide in the vine. Turn to Jesus. The only way to have a fruitful Christian life is not by coming to church, although that's commanded, it's by abiding in the vine of Jesus. But the second category I think we see here in scenario A, sometimes we find ourselves wondering, what if that's me? What if I think I'm a Christian and what if I thought there was fruit in my life, but really there's not? And my admonition to you would be the same, abide in Jesus, turn to Christ, abide today. But my admonition to you would be slightly different. My encouragement would be to give ourselves grace, to find someone we know who loves Jesus and who knows us well and talk to them. Sometimes one of the worst places we can be is when we get so introspective and we're trying to analyze whether we have fruit in our lives or not. It's part of the reason God created the church, so that we can journey through life together. But even if you wonder, is this me or is this not? Well, today, abide in Jesus. Turn to Jesus. But the second category, the second scenario, verse 7, is those who are abiding. And what's the admonition? Pray. For those who are followers of Jesus, for those who are abiding in Him, our heart will start to reflect the heart of Jesus. Right? That's naturally what happens when you abide. You begin to look like. And what does He say? Whatever you ask for, that's what I will give to you. And all of this abiding language and all of this fruit language, it does have benefits for us. I think we do need to be careful when we read God's Word sometime to think about what the benefit is for us because it can become very dangerous when we start reading the Bible with, with how it can benefit us as our first goal. But we do see a benefit here in verse 8 of what happens when we abide in Jesus. Look down with me at verse 8. Benefit number 1. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. The benefit of abiding in Jesus is that not that we get the glory, but that God gets the glory. In order for us to experience the benefit of God being glorified, we must realize what part we have in the process. You and I, we're not the fruit. We're the branch. And I think sometimes the reason we become discontent in our Christianity is we forget that we're not the point. You know, there's a lot of commercials on TV and online and a lot of debate about cell phones and, you know, are you an iPhone person or are you an Android person and why you should buy an iPhone or why you should buy an Android? We all know the right answer, buy an iPhone. But in the midst of all of these commercials, one thing I've never seen is a commercial for a phone cord. 
I've never seen a commercial for a cord that takes the electricity from the wall and gets it to the phone. However, a few weeks ago when I was getting ready to go somewhere, I plugged my phone in and then when I got ready to go, I was driving away and my phone was still at 10%. And I was like, what's wrong? Well, I realized I forgot to plug the cord into the wall. And as good as an iPhone is or an Android is, if the cord is not plugged into the wall, we're going to have no power. And in a similar way, you're not the fruit and I'm not the gardener. We are the cord. We are the branch that if connected to the power source, the vine of Jesus, true life can come. The fruit of Jesus can come and God can be glorified. How awesome it would be if we get to the end of our lives and no one remembers who we are, but they remember that we're a follower of Jesus. Why? Because we were plugged into the right source. We were plugged into the true vine. But Jesus continues here, before we get to the second benefit and end our time in the Word today, we realize that Jesus continues and he gives the second command in this passage. The first command came in verse 4. He said to abide in me. But the second command came in verse 9 where he says, abide in my love. Read with me verses 9 and 10. He says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So not only are we supposed to abide in Jesus, but we're also supposed to abide in his love. Now maybe you are just here this morning and maybe you just needed to hear this one statement. Maybe you're watching on the live stream and you just needed to hear this one statement. That we are loved with the same type of love that the Father loves the Son. I mean, look down with me in verse, no, in verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. On Valentine's Day, this is not a flaky hallmark love. The same love that God the Father has for God the Son is the same love that God the Son has for you. And what's the command that Jesus gives? For us to stay, continue in that love. Now we're like, that doesn't seem hard. How do we continue in His love? Well, He explains in verse 10, if we keep His commandments, we will abide in His love. Just as Jesus kept the Father's commandments, so we keep His commandments. You might say, I'm not worthy of this love. What do you mean I'm supposed to stay in Jesus' love? I oftentimes feel like I'm a branch that's not even bearing much fruit. Well, Dane Ortland, in his great book, Gentle and Lowly, that I'd recommend to any of you, he explains that God wants us to draw strength from his love, but the only ones qualified to do that are sinners in need of undeserved love. So this morning on Valentine's Day, may we not only abide in Jesus, but may we abide in his love. 
And this leads us to the second and final benefit we see of what happens when we abide in Jesus. Look with me at verse 11. These things, all that he said so far, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. The second benefit of abiding in in Jesus' love, in, in abiding in the vine, is we are filled with the joy of Jesus. Now don't miss this. This is not self-help Christianity. This is not clean yourself up, come to Jesus, and then go find something that will make you joyful. We could try that and we'd realize eventually we'd end up empty again. Let's be people of the word. Let's look at verse 11. What does it say? These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. The benefit of abiding in Jesus is not only vertical, not only that God is glorified, but is actually in our lives, that the joy of Jesus would fill your heart. And the result of that, that your joy would be full. I don't know about you, but I want that joy. I don't know about you, but as I navigate the ups and downs of life, as I look at the news and when I follow our culture, I want the joy of Jesus in my life. And as one of your pastors, I want the joy of Jesus in your life. And how do we get that? Not by trying harder, not by putting more effort forward, but similarly to how I plug my, my cord into the wall in order to charge my phone, we connect to the vine of Jesus. We let his words have authority in our lives, and we stay close to him. Now, as we start ending our time this morning, when I think about someone finding joy no matter what circumstances they found themselves in, I think of someone named Johnny Erickson Tejada. Many of you have probably heard of her on the radio or maybe read a book, but she's someone who over 50 years ago was involved in a diving accident and is paralyzed from the neck down. Yet she's someone who realized that although she never picked this situation or this scenario for her life, she realized she was going to abide in Jesus. She says, I always say in a way that I hope I can take my wheelchair to heaven with me. I know that's not biblically correct, but if I were able, I would have my wheelchair right up in heaven next to me when God gave me my brand new glorified body. And I will then turn to Jesus and say, Lord, you see that wheelchair over there? Well, you were right. In this world, I did have trouble because in that wheelchair, there was a lot of trouble. But Jesus, the weaker I was in that thing, the harder I leaned on you. And the harder I leaned on you, the more I realized how strong that you are. So thank you for what you did in my life through this wheelchair. And now I always say jokingly, you can send that wheelchair to hell. But think about that. 
This lady has found ourselves over 50 years in a wheelchair and her decision was, what am I going to do? I'm going to abide in Jesus. The weaker I felt, the stronger I realized Jesus was, she says. And what was the result? God is glorified. And in a body where all she can do is move her head, she is filled with the joy of Jesus. I don't know what scenario or what situation you find yourselves in today. Maybe you're the only one who knows. I also don't know what scenario or what situation we're going to find ourselves in this week. It's Sunday. I don't know what today holds. I don't even know what tomorrow holds. I don't know what a week from now holds. For me, or for you, or for us. But as one of your pastors, it is my heart's desire that we would be a people who abide in Jesus, knowing that abiding in Jesus does not necessarily mean our circumstances will change, does not necessarily mean we'll wake up tomorrow and everything will be okay, but may we be a church that abides in the true vine of Jesus Christ, knowing that God will be glorified and our joy will be full, both now and forever. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. God, I thank you for your word. And God, I thank you for our church and the people that make it up. And I love them so much. And God, I realize today each of us are going through different things. And each of us are finding ourselves in different circumstances. And God, my prayer for us this morning is that we would be a church that plugs into you, that abides in the true vine of you, Jesus. And I pray that we would be a church that glorifies you and that our joy would be full. I pray that as we scatter from this place in a few moments, that tomorrow when we're at work and when we're at school and when we're in our homes and with our friends, that we would be people who are full of the joy of your son, Jesus not because of anything we've done, but because you've allowed us to abide in the vine. You're a good God who's worthy of our trust, and we love you. And it's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.